Good morning from First Baptist Church of Salt Lake City. It is March 15th on Sunday, and we have had to cancel services because of the precautions we are taking to prevent the spread of the COVID-19 virus that has uh, plagued our globe right now. Uh, and so I'm addressing you from an empty sanctuary here at First Baptist Church, and yet I still uh, feel a sense of worship on Sunday morning as we connect spiritually and connect in prayer and uh, through this video presentation of the, the service this morning. Um, I am going to deliver my sermon as I had it planned for this Sunday morning. And, uh, but before I do that, I want to offer up a prayer uh, at this time, given the uh, situation we're in, the pandemic that has uh, come to us at this time. Um, I do want to say it's, uh, it's a challenge for us. This is a unique situation. I've never been through something like this before, and I'm sure that's true of many of us. And it is, uh, it is a little uh, frightening and uh, certainly discombobulating. Uh, however, I have confidence that we will get through this, and I just encourage each of you all of us here at First Baptist Church to continue to hold each other in prayer, to check in with one another, and to stay safe and healthy uh, throughout this time. And I feel confident that uh, we will pull together and do what is necessary to make sure that this virus doesn't continue. I'm going to offer this prayer that was written by Reverend Florence Lee. She is the National Coordinator of Intercultural Ministries at the American Baptist Home Mission Society uh, in, uh, at the national level. And so I would just invite you to be with me in prayer right now. O living God, we are disturbed by the spread of the coronavirus and the many lives that have been lost and disrupted by it. We are in sorrow and disbelief regarding the lives that are being threatened due to its spread. O loving God, we pray for the loved ones of those who have lost their lives. We pray for those who are in recovery. And we pray for the medical staff who tend to them. We acknowledge our lack of understanding of this disease and the fear of and the frailty in our human life. We lament blaming others for the cause of this disease. Help us to understand the majestic power of your creation and forgive us we have wrongly accused others of bringing forth this disease. O loving God, open our eyes that we may see your glory through the suffering, the healing, the recovering, and the renewing. Hold us in truth as we practice loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. O living God, instill in us clean hearts. Guide us as we live through the period of fear so that we may 
so that we are spreading faith instead of spreading this virus. O merciful God, in a time of unknowingness, fear, and lack of knowledge regarding the origins of this disease, we come to you with open arms, welcoming people from all places, acknowledging our human frailty and our need for your healing power. We pray for the cure of this disease and the restoration of health. And we praise you, O God, in time of trouble and confusion. You have reminded us that you are our loving God and our Savior. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I now invite you to turn with me to our text for the day. It's John 5, 4 through 42. It's a rather long one. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get the living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on the mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers all will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he the one who is speaking to you. 
Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when those Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and stay with them. And he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. May God add a blessing to this reading of text and cause it to be the inspired word for us today. So we have this story of the woman at the well, very different than the story we heard last week about Nicodemus. Uh, Nicodemus was a prominent religious leader in the community, and this woman is something completely opposite, I guess. Uh, What do we know about this woman looking at the text today? Well, we know she was a Samaritan. Uh, There's animosity between uh, the Hebrews and the Samaritans in Palestine. Uh, Where that animosity originates depends on who you ask. If you you ask the Jewish folks, uh, the Samaritans are people who were brought in after the Assyrian takeover of the northern kingdom and uh, they were put in the land and taught a version of of Jewish, of the Jewish religion and they adopted a a version of that and were celebrating that. If you ask the Samaritans, they would say that they are descendants of Joseph's sons Manasseh and Ephraim and that they inherited the land through that tribal association, and they considered themselves to be Jewish. In fact, they had a a temple at one time in Samaria of their own. But suffice it to say, uh, at this time, when Jesus is speaking to this woman, the Jews and the Samaritans did not interact uh, at all. In fact, there were some kind of uh, difficult relationships going on there. Um, So here's this Samaritan woman. She comes to the well at noon, which is unusual. Usually, uh, it is usually the women who come and fetch the water, but they usually do it either in the early morning or at dusk because it is so hot and you have to lug these giant jars uh, with you back and forth. And so they usually come in, the other thing that happens is women usually travel in packs so as not to be uh, bothered by men generally. And, and they do it in the morning to avoid the heat. Here it is, high noon, and this woman is alone. So uh, that tells us that she is probably not welcome by the other women to be a part of their group as they travel to and from the well. Um, that would suggest that she's a bit of a social pariah. And why that is, we're not exactly told, uh, but it might have something to do with her man troubles that seems to come up. Uh, Jesus comes to her and in the middle of their conversation confronts her about her husband. Uh, And this seems to dig pretty deeply into her life. It seems like a very intrusive uh, set of uh, exchange here. Jesus says to her at one point, go get your husband and bring him back. And the woman says, I have no husband. She seems to want to just leave it at that and move on. But Jesus says, yes, true that. You do not have 
a husband. In fact, you have had five husbands, and the man you are with right now is not your husband. Jesus cuts right to the quick. Um, and what happened to all of these husbands? Maybe they died, maybe uh, they all left her and left her there. Or maybe she, some scholars think she is a prostitute and she was there looking for business, perhaps. Uh, we don't really know for sure. But suffice it to say, when Jesus reveals this knowledge to her, uh, it, it brings up something. And I hear that and I think, man, what would Jesus say to me at the well? What, what, what deep shame, what deep secret, what, what dark area of my soul would Jesus probe into if I were there at the, at the well having this conversation? Uh, it's, it's pretty disturbing to think how deeply Jesus might dive to find that that shame, that guilt, that thing that kind of hangs on us. And whether this was a, a secret shame or it was a shame that the whole entire community knew about, something about what Jesus brought out in that touched her. Uh, we hear it, maybe we hear an accusation. Oh yes, woman, I know your secret. You, you have five husbands and you're sleeping around and uh, you're loose and a floozy and all of those things. Um, but I, I wonder if maybe we're not capturing the tone of Jesus' words. Perhaps when Jesus says it, what comes through to this woman is not judgment, is not condemnation, but compassion and understanding. Perhaps when Jesus says, oh yes, I know. I know you don't have a husband. And I know that you've been passed around by many men. And I know the pain that you are feeling right now. And I know, I know the struggle you've had in looking for love in all the wrong places. And I know how much you've been used and abused. And I know your pain. And I know what you're going through. And... I want you to know that God's love is available to you as well. I wonder if in those, in those brief words, I wonder if Jesus conveyed all of that compassion, even when he confronts this woman's shame. It, it must have conveyed something positive because this woman... Uh, keys in on how significant Jesus' revelation is and begins to speculate. Now, to, to Jesus, I know, she says, that we are expecting a Messiah who's going to come and start to explain everything and make everything make sense again. I know that that Messiah is coming. And Jesus says, I am He. And it's the first time in the Gospel of John, Jesus comes anywhere near admitting or, or claiming to be the Messiah. And here it is to this woman, unnamed woman, foreign woman, 
woman of ill repute, woman who is shunned by society, woman who's he, whom he is not supposed to be talking to. In fact, his disciples scold him when he, they come back and catch him speaking to her. And yet, here is the amount of significance placed on this woman cannot be under, overstated. Uh, this is the longest conversation Jesus has with anybody in not only John's gospel, but any gospel. This is the longest, as you heard when we read it, it's the longest recorded conversation that anyone's ever had. And it's with a, a foreign woman who is untouchable, whom he shouldn't even be speaking to. And it is that person whom Jesus, who has avoided revealing, the, you know, avoided everyone calling him Messiah. Whenever it came up, uh, they, he always admonished his disciples, don't tell people that. Don't tell people I'm the Messiah. And yet here he is saying, yes, for you, I am going to tell you the truth. I am the Messiah. I, I am the culmination of all of God's promises to you and to the world and to everybody. And I'm, I'm entrusting you with that information. And she goes and tells everybody. <laughs> and everybody in that Samaritan village asks Jesus to stay, and he stays. He stays for a couple of days and enjoys the hospitality of the Samaritan village, and they all come to believe through this interaction with Jesus. Uh, quite a, a remarkable story. And it is, it, is, uh, it is a story that calls us to reach past the exterior of the people we come, we encounter along the way, any given day. It encourages us to lead with compassion. It encourages us to uh, forego the shame and the guilt and to seek compassion and understanding. Here again, I don't know what Jesus would find in my heart if I were standing at the well and, and what deep shame or condemnation that I've put on myself Jesus might lift up. And yet I think we all have those. And we all have a story. Uh, that includes any person in front of us. The the woman at the grocery store who uh, is not very pleasant. The person at work who uh, seems distracted. The homeless man on the corner uh, who is begging for food and money. Uh, the drug addict on the street who is incoherent because he's trying to ease his pain. The people we interact with on the streets, in our work, uh, at our children's schools, at our own schools, they all have a story. They all have a, a deep-rooted shame, uh, as we all do somewhere. 
There are those things that we, we would never want Jesus to reveal. <laughs> and yet, when Jesus confronts those face on, when Jesus uh, comes to us and says, I know, I know that you see this shame and this guilt and you want to hide and you want to hide away from it and you want nobody to know it and that's fine but Jesus says I know what's behind all of that I know that shame is never just bad decisions but there are things that come along with it and there are consequences that have been painful Jesus says, I know your pain. I understand your guilt. And I want to take that guilt away. It's my prayer that as we continue through this Lenten season, that not only will we examine ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal those places where we have fallen short, but I also pray that when we are confronted with our own shame and our own guilt, and the, the things that we've done that have brought pain to ourselves and maybe even pain to others, that we will allow God's compassion through Jesus Christ heal those wounds, that we will invite God to assuage our guilt and to wash us with grace and with mercy. Because our shame does nothing but hold us back. Our shame doesn't, keeps us from moving forward and becoming the person God intended us to be. Our shame is something that, that locks us in the past. And Jesus longs for us to have a vibrant and full future. And it really begins with accepting the forgiveness, the absolution, the understanding and compassion of God through Jesus Christ. It's my prayer that you will open up your heart to the ministry of the Spirit over this time as you work through all of those things that are hidden deep, deep in your heart. Let us pray. O oh, loving and gracious God, we thank you for this story of this remarkable woman whom we don't even know her name, and yet she stands as one of the truest and most significant witnesses in the canon. God, we pray that as you confront us with those shameful things that are deep in our spirit, that we will open our hearts to the receiving of your compassion, your love, your forgiveness, and your grace and mercy. Uh, may we also approach the world and the people in it with the same compassion that you have given to us. We ask all of this in the precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ.